Appreciate it, the prayer time. I draw strength and courage from that. And thank you all for praying throughout the day. I know many of you do, and, I, and Lord bless you for that. And I do appreciate it, the enthusiastic singing tonight. Open up your heart wide and let him with love it fill. Something like that. And I also want to say that I have enjoyed the good devotionals every night. Short, to the point, gets our hearts turned towards God. Today is the day to hear. Appreciate that. All right, children's meeting tonight. So, children, come right up on front to this side here. All right, good evening, boys and girls. Did you have a good day? Yes, ready for a children's class tonight. A little time that we can talk about something together. Now, I know you children, many of you go to a Christian school. You probably all of you have Christian mom and dads, and they teach you things about God, right? What, do you, what can you tell me about God? Can you tell me anything about God that you know? Raise your hand. Yes. Powerful. Right on. What else do you know about God? Yes. He loves us. Perfect. Yes. He can do all things. Very good. Anyone else? Something you can tell me about God? Those are all very good. Anything else? Okay. Can you tell me something that God does not like? Yes? What's that? I'm sorry, say it again. Bad customs. Bad customs, okay. And what were you going to say? Sin. Sin, okay. All right, very good. God does not like sin. He hates sin. Bad customs, another way to say it. All right, and so there's a verse in the Bible that says, and I don't know what you children understand about sin, but it's sin is when you do things, Think things that you shouldn't do, or get that go against God's word, all right? And I think you have a little understanding about sin. Doing things that God does not want you to do. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Did you ever hear that verse? Sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. And so what I can tell you, children, tonight is that sin is never, ever, ever good. It's always bad. Do you understand that? Sin is always bad. God hates sin. And sin, when it is finished, when it ends, it's always bad. I cannot tell you one good thing about sin tonight. It always ends bad. All right? So I'm going to tell you a little story tonight. And you know what? I need a chair. Let me get a chair here. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a story. How many of you boys have dads that are farmers? Is your dad a farmer? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Well, this little guy right here, he raised his hand. What's your name? Jerry. Jerry? No, Jared. Jared? Jared. Would you want to help me tonight? Would that be too scary? You want to help me? Okay, come. You don't want to help me. Okay, that's all right. He wants to help me. What's your name? Darren. Darren, you want to help me? Yeah, it'll be all right. Come. You want to help me? No. Oh, my. Okay. Who would want to help me? You want to help me? Okay, come up here. I want you to sit right here. What's your name? Sawyer. Sawyer? Okay, Sawyer. How old are you? Eleven. Eleven. All right. So, is your dad a farmer? He has chicken houses. Okay, that's a farmer. All right. So, I'm going to tell you a story about a farmer tonight. And this farmer, now, 
so the story I told other, the other night, I got a lot of questions from your mom and dads, and they want to know if that was a true story. Uh, it may not have been. I don't know that. But the story I'm going to tell you tonight, I believe it's a true story. This comes from Wycliffe Bible Translators. I think this is a true story, okay? So it's a story about a farmer that was from Germany. You know where Germany is? It's across the ocean, all right? It's another country far away. And he was a, a good farmer. And he decided one time that he was going to go to Guatemala, which is another country. You ever heard of Guatemala? Have you heard of Guatemala? And he was going to go from Germany to Guatemala, and he was going to farm in Guatemala. And so he did that. He moved to Guatemala, and he bought a farm, and he started farming there. And so you're going to be my German farmer tonight, all right? Okay, we got that, Sawyer? So you're right here. We're farming, all right? You're my German farmer. You just listen to what I say. And so he started farming, and he knew how to plant, work up the ground, and he knew what seeds to plant, and he could get good help. And the crops grew good, and he had some good years farming there in Guatemala. And the time came, and he decided, you know what, I should go back to my family in Germany and visit them. I haven't seen them for a long time, many years. So he bought himself a ticket to get on a ship to sail across the ocean, it has been many years ago, to see his family in Germany. So this farmer got the ticket. The day came, he got on the ship and started sailing across the ocean. It took a number of days to get to Germany. And he wasn't on the ship very long until he noticed that something in his foot was hurting, something in his foot. And it started to hurt pretty bad. And so one day he decided he better see what this is. And so he took his shoe off and he took his sock off to see what was hurting in his foot. So Sawyer, can you take this shoe off here? And your sock? Okay. So he looked at his foot and underneath his big toenail, there was a red spot. And he knew what it was and that's where the pain was coming from. That's where it was hurting, this red spot underneath his big toenail. And he knew what it was and what it is, just leave it like, right like that. It was a little bug, and it's called a ningua. Can you say ningua? Say it with me. Ningua. Okay. A little bug, and what they do is they crawl underneath your toenails, and they crawl in there, and they, they lay eggs in there. And this thing starts to get irritated, and starts to get sore, and it starts hurting, and starts to get infected. Well, he knew what that was, and he knew how you have to take care of it. And so, here's what you got to do. See that? Huh? Aren't you glad you're not the farmer? <laughs> See that? So what you got to do, Sawyer, is you got to go in underneath that toenail, and you got to dig that thing out of there so it doesn't get infected. So he sat down, he looked at that thing, at the needle out, and he thought, you know what? My family in Germany has never seen a ningua. Maybe I should just let it in until I get to Germany and show it to my family. And so that's what he did. He let that thing in there, he didn't dig it out. And a couple more days, and he got to Germany, and the ship 
pulled up to the dock, and by that time, his foot was really, really hurting. It wasn't just red here. It was red all over. It had got it all infected. You understand that? Got really, really sore. And by that time, he was just hobbling around. He could barely walk on that foot. And he walked off the ship, and there was his uncle, his uncle Otto. And his uncle Otto threw his arms around him and said, Oh, we're so glad to have you here, Mr. Farmer. And the farmer said, Yeah, I'm glad to be here. But he said, I got a problem. And he took off his shoe and sock again, and he showed it to his uncle Otto, and it was all red and affected. And he said, We got to get that thing out of there. And uncle Otto said, Oh, he said, We're going to have a family reunion. And the family has never seen a Ningua before. Let's just let it in until we have the family reunion, huh? You know, that was a really bad idea because he died before they ever had the family reunion. That thing got so infected that it killed him, poisoned, and he died right there. Okay, so that's kind of a sad story, isn't it? So what I want to tell you, children, tonight, the Bible says in sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Now, I want you to understand tonight that sin often starts out with something really, really small, like that tiny little ningua bud, bug, tiny little thing, crawled underneath there. But that's usually how sin starts, with something really small. And so I want to encourage you children tonight, the way you obey God, like I told you the other night, is obey your parents. Now, I want to encourage you to listen to mom and dad and to obey them. That's how you please God. Don't do things around mom and dad's back. Don't try to deceive them, all right? Just be up front, be open. Don't do things around their back. Obey mom and dad the best you can. And that will go a long ways down the road when you become older. That will help you a lot so that you know how to avoid sin. Because you don't want to let little things that are bad come into your life. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? What's the last word? Death, right, okay. So should we let Sawyer put his sock back on? Okay, you can put your shoe and sock back on. I thought I wanted to give you something tonight, and I, I don't have a little bug to give you, okay? But I got a big bug to give you, and maybe that'll help you remember the lesson tonight, all right? Okay, just give me a chance to Clear my mind while we stand and sing this. another verse of the song we sang the other night. Lord, I'm fondly. The second verse is what, Jay? Can you lead that? I would be thine. 
would be thine and serve thee forever. Filled with thy spirit, lost in thy love, come to my heart, Lord, come with the anointing, showers of grace. You may be seated. I appreciate your heartfelt singing, and I can watch your expressions up here. And, um, it's good to see the house filled this evening again, and many of you faces are becoming very familiar. You keep coming back night after night. And I had to think tonight about uh, some older people, the widow ladies that come and put forth a lot of effort. It probably takes more effort for people like that than it does for us to get here, and I just appreciate that, that even when we get to that age that we still have a hunger and thirst to hear the word of God. I think that's beautiful. Well, I am, I think I can say tonight, I, no, I can't, not that I think, I know I can say tonight that I am enthused about life, and I wonder what enthuses you about life uh, Cheerios, or a big buck, or coffee, or a trip, and we list a lot of things, and those things enthuse us about life. God has given us a, a many things to enjoy here on this earth, even though that we know it's temporary, and we're only here for a short while, and yet there are many enjoyable things, and I appreciate that. But as I think about life, I'm also enthused about other things, and the one thing we talked about last night was the church, a flame, and I'm enthused about the church, the bride of Christ, I really am, and I love church, and I, like, I love uh, children, and I love families I see here, I'm excited, the families that are coming here to church, and parents, um, some things that have been in our life this past months, weddings, we've been to a number of weddings this summer, and I'm just enthused when I see young people, and you got a wedding tomorrow, that are committed to holy matrimony, want to be married in the Lord, and want to serve the Lord, and two becoming one. I'm enthused about that. I'm enthused about dating couples. We've got several in our congregation. And I just, I'm blessed when I see young people that allow God to work in their lives and bring paths together. And, oh, instruction class. We had baptism last Sunday morning in our church, and that that is just so exciting to me to see young people that are willing to make a commitment to serve God with all their heart and put their heart into the church. And also a brotherhood that's alive, that's exciting to me. I'm also excited about heaven. And I told you the other night, the older I get, the more excited I am about it. And I understand that when you're younger, it's maybe not so exciting to think that way. But you know, I've got... Uh, more to go there for than I had yesterday. I've got a son there I want to see someday soon. And there's just a lot of reasons why I want to go there. And 
the older I get, the more that I realize how worthless some of the things that we strive so hard for on this earth, they're friends, they're just kindling. That's all it is. And so we need to keep that in mind, keep our focus straight. When my name is called, I want to be there. I also realize tonight that there's something that stands between me and there that would prevent me. I invite you tonight to the book of Luke, to the 22nd chapter. I'll use this for a text. Just Luke 22 is a long chapter, and I'm just picking out a few verses. Luke chapter 22, and I will read, first of all, from verse 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now let's drop down to verse 39. And he came out and went as he wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And verse 46. Notice the theme here. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And verse 54. Then took they him, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth. This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto them, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. If we would put together a list of words that we might be tired of, I wonder what you would put down. I think of words like COVID-19. I see people smiling. And mandates and experts and vaccines, social distancing, Mass. The title tonight of the message is Unmasking the Enemy. And I'm not talking about COVID 19 tonight. But I thought about that when I used the word unmasking the enemy. We all know what the masks were for in COVID 19. 
But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. The, the term that I'm using tonight when I'm saying unmasking, I'm talking about a mask that is used to hide something or to deceive someone so that you don't really know what it is. And tonight we want to take the mask off of the enemy so that we know what he looks like. We identify the enemy here in chapter 22 of Luke. His name is Satan. In verse 31, Satan. And Jesus had some words to say to Peter here in verse 31. He said, Simon, Simon. And it seems like, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it seems like Jesus may have been very sober. In other words, he said, Peter, Peter. And you know what he said next? Satan wants you. And Jesus said, but Peter, I am praying for you. Verse 32, I'm praying for you, Peter. See, Satan wants you, and I'm praying for you that you will stay faithful, Peter, that you will not fall spiritually. Peter, I'm praying for you. That was Jesus' words to his disciple. And then he went on and said in verse 32, Peter, when thou art converted. And <laughs> I don't know what Peter was thinking. And maybe I don't know, I, I probably don't know exactly what Jesus was thinking, but it seems to me Jesus was warning Peter, look, you better be careful. In other words, he was basically telling them, Peter, you're going to fall. And when you get through that, when you get converted. But he was warning Peter. And Peter, oh, I love Peter. I love his enthusiasm. But, you know, he, he had to learn some things really, really hard way. And Peter responded to that sober, earnest plea of Jesus. He responded like this. He said, Jesus, don't worry. I've got this, Jesus. Ah, it's okay. I've got this. No problem. Ah, you know, even if it means going to jail, I got this. Even if it means that I die with you, no problem. I've got this, Jesus. Confident Peter. And Jesus was very blunt with him in verse 34. He said, Peter, listen, I tell thee, Peter, before the rooster crows this morning, you will have denied me three times. And then the verses I read, and if you follow the theme, we went down there and, and Jesus was going to pray. And he told Peter, Peter, you need to pray. In verse 40 and 46, Peter, pray, pray, pray. You're just about to enter into temptation. He told him, Peter, uh, pray that you enter not into temptation, that you don't fall. You need to pray, brother. He was concerned about Peter. And we read what happened. We know what happened. Peter fell. Oh, friends, he fell hard. Not once, not twice, but three times he fell. Three times he denied Jesus. No, I don't know this man. And the Bible says that while the last time when, that, when the, whoever was there and said, challenge him, hey, you're one of these disciples. I know you are. I can tell by the way you talk. He said, I don't even know the man. And before those words were out of his mouth, he heard this sound. Arr, arr, arr. That's what happened. 
It was a sad moment in history. And the Bible says, and I read that, you know, it, it just grips your heart because it says that Peter denied him and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And their eyes must have met and Peter's heart melted and he was so guilty. What's it say he did? Went out and whipped wept bitterly. Peter, I warned you, and I warned you, and I warned you. It was the work of the enemy, Satan. And tonight, I realize it's probably not a very popular message, but I would like to unmask the enemy tonight. I'd like to Reveal what he really is, what the scripture says he is, and I can't use all the scripture, there's many. But the first point I want to give you tonight is this. As we unmask the enemy, that Satan is real. And I know that you know that. I know that you believe that. But I want to remind you tonight. And I cannot tell you tonight, is Satan in the form of a man or is he form of a spirit. I can't tell you if he looks like an angel. The Bible says that sometimes he comes as an angel light and we know that his cohorts were angels that got kicked out of heaven. I cannot tell you what the form of Satan looks tonight, but friends, tonight I can tell you that I know that he is alive. I know that. I can tell you tonight some other things that the Bible tells us. It tells us that he is a great oppressor, I think I got the right word, opposer of God. He opposes God, and, and everything that God wants to do, Satan opposes it, because he's the opposite of God Almighty and holy and righteousness. He is the enemy of God. He is the devil, the Bible says. He is the God of this world that blinds the minds of those that, that, which believe not. He blinds people so they cannot see. They're in darkness. He is the prince and power of the air. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, it says he's a spirit that works in the hearts of men to disobey God. You wonder why. You wonder why people come to church and they're converted and they serve God and they come through our churches and all at once they throw everything out the door. Why? It's because that spirit that enters into them from Satan that, that leads them to disobey God. He is the accuser of God's people, Revelation 12.10. Not only is he God's enemy, but he is our enemy, friends, tonight. Evidence that Satan is real. Right here in verse 31 of chapter 22. Jesus, son of God, said to Peter, Satan desires to have you. Jesus was telling Peter that Satan is real. Peter, you got to be careful. Jesus wasn't talking about some fictional character. He wasn't talking about something like Santa Claus or Superman or something that's not real. He was talking about something that is real. Jesus knew that Satan's real, and he knew that Peter was not ready for what he was about to face. I'd like to give you another evidence tonight that Satan is real. I'm going to read you a verse, and somebody can tell me who wrote this verse. It's not a trick question. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now who wrote that verse? Peter wrote that verse. 
The same man we read about in Luke chapter 22. But you see, friends, tonight, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, when he said, be sober, be vigilant, he's a different man now. He's a man with experience. He's writing from experience, and he says, be sober. I wasn't. He says, be vigilant. I wasn't. Be careful. I wasn't. This is the heart of Peter as we read that verse. He said, because we have an enemy, and he describes him as a roaring lion. He knew what had happened in his own life. He's hungry. He's starving. He's out to destroy. And so we see the heart of Peter, a man with experience. I want to give you another evidence that Satan is real. I don't know how you respond to this question, but how many of you are ever, are ever tempted to do or to be unrighteous? Are you ever tempted? Okay, most of you are. All of you are, actually. Well, in James... And you'll have to turn there. Just stay in Luke. But in James, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God doesn't tempt you to unrighteousness. That is not God's work. It is not, it is completely. To think that is completely contrary to the work of God. He came to save from sin, therefore he will never tempt you to sin. It doesn't make any sense. And so when we are tempted to sin or to do unrighteousness, it is solid, personal evidence that Satan is real. Well, back here in Luke... Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to have you. And friends, tonight, that's a, I don't know if you want to call it a profound statement, but it is a very meaningful statement. It is a deep statement. And it's a statement that we can read and we kind of brush right over that. We can read this through our morning devotions and, and it not really even grip our heart. But, we got, but tonight I want us to realize that Jesus really said that. Gary Miller wrote a book that, that's entitled, Did Jesus Really Say That? And he lists a number of things and this is another one that could be in that book. Jesus really said that. He said, Satan wants you. Brother Jay, Satan desires to have you. Brother John Ralph, Satan desires to have you. Samuel. Satan desires to have you. And you can put your name in there tonight, friends. Why? That he may sift you as wheat. Why would Satan want to sift us as wheat? I'm going to use an object lesson tonight. Uh, I enjoy object lessons. And it helps me remember. And, okay. Uh, yeah, maybe the chair would be good. Thank you, Elon. So I've got a sieve that I made. And I've got some wheat 
And this is hard red wheat that you would use to make good bread, is the way I understand it. Thank you. That's good, right there. And so we're going to sift this wheat. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Satan wants you because he wants to sift you like you would sift wheat. And so we take this wheat and we pour it into the sieve. Okay, so you get it through there. All the wheat comes out. Now there's some stuff left in here that is not wheat and it probably wouldn't make good bread. Now some of that corn might not hurt too much, but there's some other chaff and junk stuff in there that would not make good wheat. It did not go through the sieve. So sifting separates the good wheat from the junk. All right, so very simple illustration, we understand that. So we got the good wheat in the container, we got the junk in the sieve, it didn't go through. Now when Jesus told Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, Jesus was saying this, and I'm putting it in my own words, but this is the implication, Satan is looking for the junk in your life. Satan's not going to hit you where you're good. He's been in business a long time. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to hit you where you're really strong. But Satan is looking for the junk, the spiritual junk in your life. Satan is looking for the spiritual weak spot in your life. That's what he looks for. He is looking for the vulnerable area of your life where he knows that he can hit you there. And that's the best chance he has of getting you to fall, to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, tonight, this is sobering. Brothers and sisters, he desires to sift us like wheat. And if there's anything in our life that doesn't filter through as righteousness, that's where he will attack us. He hits us right there. And that's sobering. Does my life filter through as righteousness? Evidence that Satan is real. The second point I would like to give you in unmasking, revealing who he is, and you can turn to this one. It's, it's in the book of John. I got one verse here. And it tells us a lot about Satan. John chapter 8. Verse 44. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus again talking about the enemy, and he said, there is no truth in him. Zero. There's no truth in him. He is a truth twister. He is a truth smasher. He does not tolerate truth. Well, I shouldn't say maybe tolerate. But let me just put this away. Whenever... 
Satan whispers in our ear, whatever it is, it's, it's always a lie because there is no truth in it. He'll never tell you anything that's true. It's always a lie, but he can't tell you anything true because there is no truth in him. And so you cannot believe even one word that he says. If he nudges you to do one thing, you'd know it's a lie. There's no truth in him. He is a liar because he is a liar. He's a deceiver. And so anytime that you believe anything that Satan says, you have been deceived because it's always a lie. Now, Jesus also said he's a murderer. He's a spiritual murderer from the very beginning. From Adam and Eve, it started and is continuing on today. And he's spiritually murdered many, many people down over the ages. He's a spiritual murderer. And so as we think about that, friends, let's get this straight in our minds. Satan's a liar. He's a deceiver. He is a murderer. So the question I would ask, what has he ever done to deserve your cooperation? What has he ever done to deserve your attention? What has he ever done to deserve one inch of your life? The answer is nothing, absolutely nothing. So don't give him anything, nothing. So now I'd like to make it more practical. It's already practical, but a bit more. We know the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. Okay? So everything you see out there that is ungodly, it comes from him. That is from his kingdom. He's the God of this world, not of God's kingdom. When we say God, small g-o-d, he's not the God of gods and Lord of lords, but he's the God of ungodliness. He's the author of it. He's the God of this world. And so what you see from the world comes from him. And I'm going to say something I don't normally say, but it's something that's on my heart. And I just said this to our congregation recently. I am concerned I don't like to preach clothes. I just do not like to preach clothes. But I, I am concerned when I see fads and fashions that are coming from the world, from the God of this world. I expect them out there. That doesn't surprise me a bit. But I'm concerned when I see them coming into the church, to God's people. That concerns me because I know where they come from. And I'm going to be very blunt with you. In my travels and getting around our churches, I started noticing ladies' dresses getting short. And then I was made aware, well, that's the style in the world. Okay, so that's where it comes from. And I have no idea where you're at on dress length. It doesn't make any difference to me. I can just tell you that I've seen this new fad coming into our churches. And that bothers me. Uh, Richard Hurst said, and I quote him, he said, everything comes from somewhere. It either comes from beneath or it comes from above. And we need to think about that. And so I just ask us tonight, does, very simply, does our dress style go through the sieve? Does it filter through? Friends, tonight, I do not like preaching dress at all. But I just, this is what I want to ask us tonight. Is it asking too much for us to be consistent? 
Is that asking too much? Let's be consistent. We don't need to follow the God of this world. It's from the devil. And I realize that there's times as we live through life on this earth that what, what we practice lines up with what the world does. I understand that. Sometimes hairstyles line up and, you know, that's the way it is. But is it too much for God's people to be consistent and not follow the God of this world? Now, last night I talked about technology a little bit, and I didn't empty my heart. And someone encouraged me that I should say more. So that does encourage me to say more, because it's a big burden on my heart. Brothers and sisters tonight, I am concerned that our smartphones filter through as righteousness. That's my concern. Do they filter through as righteousness? And I just use the word smartphones, you could put other things in there. And I told you last night, I'm not, my wife has a smartphone, okay? But do they filter through as righteousness? And if I can somehow get you to see my heart tonight. I am flat out concerned how addictive, how much time, how prioritized the cell phones are. And I see our people that cannot they cannot seemingly live without them. And, and not only, I, I know, we carry them in our pockets and, and I see people that have them in their hands all the time. I'm concerned, friends, that they filter through, that they don't hang up here because they're an idol. Do they filter through as righteousness? I'm flat out concerned how much cell phones have become a part of our worship time when we come to church. Friends, it used to not be that way. It used to be, back in the day, that we didn't bring any phones into church, but that has all changed. It's changed in our church at home. And I believe me, I, I say these things, same things across our pulpit here, people. I'm not picking on you. I have no idea where you're at. I'm sharing my heart with you tonight. But I would say this, moms and dads, and I understand tonight there's a lot of farmers here, and I, and, and I don't know what other occupations you're in, and you need to be on call, the turkey house isn't the right temp, whatever it is, and I know you get alerts from, I understand that, okay? But let me just say this, let me say this tonight, moms and dads, if you don't want your children on phones in church, then we better start drawing some personal lines to prevent what's coming down the road. If you do not want your sons and daughters texting across the aisle during a worship service, then we better be thinking and drawing some lines. If we don't want our people that are sitting in the pews to be fact-checking the preacher with Google God while he's preaching God's word, then we better start drawing some lines because that's where we're headed. Am I way off? I don't think so. If we don't want this book to disappear from our worship service, then we better start drawing some lines. 
I, I believe we should preach from this book, not from a screen. That's my opinion. Like I told you, there's too many distractions on the screen. We don't need those distractions in our worship time. Friends, tonight I'm flat out concerned how people in our own pews, in our own churches, our plain people are denying the Lord Jesus Christ just like Peter did, but they're, they're not denying him by a verbal presence in a courtyard. They are denying him by going online and participating online in pornography and flirting and fornication and adultery. And people tonight, if you could see my heart, I care. My heart is burdened. I, listen, young man, if you want to mess your life up, that's the way to mess it up. It'll take you a long time to get out of it. I'm talking from the experience of talking with people and helping people. Listen, young ladies. I think sometimes we let the young ladies off too easy, but if you wanna, if you wanna mess your life up, get just indulge in social media and there's all kinds of things in there that you can flirt with the, with the opposite sex and draw you away from God, it'll mess your life up. I've seen it happen. I know people, people that I know. And husband, if you wanna stick a knife in your, heart, your wife's heart, that's the way to do it. Online pornography, adultery, fornication. It has such far, far-reaching effects, friends. It's my heart's cry. The devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. And he takes advantage where he can. And I would just like to say this tonight, friends. We have an enemy. Uh, and you know, the consequences for of sexual sin are so far reaching, I just think we don't get it. It's awful, friends. And the Bible says this, Jesus said, you know what he said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. He said, if your foot offends you, cut it off. Your eyes offend you, pluck them out. It's better to go to heaven with one eye than two and go to hell. That's what Jesus said. Friends, it's the work of the enemy. I just plead with you tonight. By the power of Jesus Christ, that we can live in victory and not fall to the enemy. Another thing, and I'll just mention this briefly, that I would reveal about Satan tonight is that he is a loser. And I won't even read the verses tonight, but we're familiar in Matthew. It says that he is going to him and his angels to be cast into everlasting fire. He is a loser, friends. He's a loser. Revelation 12 talks about him being kicked out of heaven. Him and the angels cast out. Friends, tonight he is a loser that is cast down from heaven. He lost at the cross. He lost at the tomb. His end is everlasting fire. And the only satisfaction that he gets out of his entire being is if he can take someone with him. That's it. He has no opportunity to repent, ever, ever. He's going to burn forever in hell's fire. And so, friends, tonight, any time that you are tempted, and we are tempted, any time we are tempted to sin, and it may seem glamorous and may be something that we could enjoy, it may be a fleeting pleasure, whatever it is, may seem fulfilling, always remember that Satan is a loser. He has nothing at all to offer. Now tonight, on the positive side, how do we win? How do we defeat this enemy? Number one, a personal plan. 
A.W. Tozer said this, if it takes a crowd to get you converted, you have not been converted. In other words, he's saying we need a personal experience. And if we're going to win against this enemy, we've got to have a personal plan. Every one of us needs to have a personal plan. I would say that our personal spiritual success depends upon us personally. Sure, we have the church and we appreciate the brother and we need it. But it depends on us. And here's something we can do. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Friends, tonight that is a promise from the word of God. He may come at you from every angle. He may come at you day and night. He may come at you in the middle of the night when it is dark, whatever it is. He may come at you when you're alone with your phone or whatever it is. But resist him. And God promises he'll flee from us. Say no. No way. The old bumper sticker that says the devil made me do it is a big old lie. He didn't make you do it. He can't make you do it. We could go to the uh, verses, I forget, it's in Matthew. It says that he cannot pluck you out of the Father's hand. He cannot do it. He doesn't make us do it. We can resist him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't give him an opportunity. You want a personal plan, dear people, for this enemy that is out to destroy us? Don't give him an advantage. If we have a problem with alcohol, don't go close to alcohol. It's that simple. And we need to apply that principle to everything else in life. Don't give him an advantage. Because he'll take it. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the strategy of the devil. Put it on, friends. What is it? It's truth. It's prayer. It's the word of God. It's faith. That's how we win. Have a personal plan to resist, to not give opportunity to put on the armor of God. And I would like to add to the personal plan you know, friends, it comes down to this. It comes down to our thought life. Everything. Whenever we fail, it starts with our thought life. And so we need to arrest our thought life. We need to be careful with our thoughts. And we need to be so careful that when that thought comes in our mind to be tempted with something, that we just smash it right there. And there are people that I know that when their thought life starts to go awry, they text somebody or they phone somebody because they have a personal plan in place. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, our thought life. Friends, our path to victory starts with thinking right. Path to victory, how you win, desire. Number two, Satan desires to have us. We need to have a desire to not be had by him. And Romans 6, 11 talks about, uh, maybe I just need a, I can't quote it, so let me turn there. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the thought there is that there's some things that need to be dead, and so we got to stop feeding it. And so a desire is a result of what we feed. What we feed on feeds our desire, becomes our desire, and so we need to be forthright and feeding the Spirit of God in our life so that grows unto righteousness. Don't feed the flesh. Desire is what you feed on. Third point, how to win, stay close to Jesus. 
in, the, in Luke chapter 22, and I'm not going to go back there because I'm out of time, but it says that Peter followed afar off. If he would have stayed close to Jesus, but he followed afar off, he could have stayed right by Jesus, perhaps. said Maybe Jesus could have kept his hand on his shoulder and he could have encouraged Peter, but he was somewhere off with the, with the heathen. Warming his body. We know what happened. What if Peter had stayed right beside Jesus? Friends, tonight, let's stay close to Jesus. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Power, friends. We win with power. It's not power of my own strength, my own might. And we could go to Colossians, and it talks about Christ being in us. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you. That is the glory of the gospel. It talks in that verse about the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel is with the saving power of Jesus Christ, but the glory of the gospel is even more glorious when it is Christ in you. That's power, friends. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the power through Jesus Christ to win over the devil. He cannot win when we're walking with Jesus We'll always win when our hand is in Jesus' hand because there's power. And then last of all, recognize you have an enemy. Deception is real, friends. We need to remember that, and that's one of the reasons for the message tonight. We do have an enemy. Sometimes we go through a church life and we get kind of callous and we get kind of complacent and we can just be busy in life and we tend to forget we have an enemy. Listen, friends, tonight, hear Peter's voice tonight. Hear Peter's voice calling out. The man who fell hard, the man who had the experience. Peter's voice tonight comes to us. He says, be sober, be vigilant. There's an enemy out there. I know. I experienced it. Friends, tonight, Peter doesn't stand alone. We have all denied Jesus. The difference between those who go to heaven and those who go to hell is those who rise up from the heap. All of us tonight are either one of two places. Either we are still on that heap, or we have risen up by the power of God, and we're living by the power of God in our life. Brothers and sisters, tonight it's a sober message. You understand that. Satan desires to have you. He wants you. And he will sift you as wheat. And he's going to see what stays in that sift. And that's where we are vulnerable. He's looking for that stuff in our life. You know what is sobering to me tonight, friends, is how quickly Peter fell. He had just said, God, I've got this. I am a solid Christian. I am on my way. And you know what, friends? It wasn't long later that he fell. How quickly he fell. There is an enemy. And the question I ask us tonight, does my life filter through as righteousness? Let's pray.